podcast with Alan and Chad. This podcast was developed with teachers in mind. We're glad to have you joining us on the podcast where we will dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. Well, welcome back to the Teaching in Tech podcast. Uh, we're back for another episode this week, and uh, we're very excited, Alan and I, to be welcoming a guest to the show uh, from the English department at Camp McKinley High School. We have Jessica Woodson Moss with us today, so welcome to the show. Thank welcome, you. Welcome. Uh, and even though I know all the uh, the listeners are very uh, always looking forward each time for a new episode to listen to, uh, you know, Alan and I wax on about education. Uh, <laughs> it's exciting for us to have a, uh, a guest joining us today where we can dive into some things that are uh, happening in her classroom and find out some strategies and some things that are happening that maybe are useful for some of the listeners. So as we get started today, uh, one of the things that's interesting is to kind of follow the path of uh, how someone gets into the education profession, how they get to their current assignment and what they're teaching. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into the profession and uh, maybe what um, inspires you to become a teacher. Um, so the whole kind of inspiration for me to become a teacher was my first grade teacher. Uh, she was an incredible human being. She gave me a lot of opportunities to, believe it or not, stay inside for recess by my own choice, um, help her grade papers, help her do bulletin boards, help her get set up with things. So I saw what being a teacher was like from a very different perspective. Granted, I was in first grade. Um, but I loved the connection I had with her. I love what she supplied for me and stayed in connection with her even after I left the elementary school. Um, so just having that exposure to impact a student from that perspective is what motivated me to want to be a teacher. I hear first grade, and that, man, that's a long time to hold on to that passion. Yes. I mean, what, can, you, can you expand on a little bit of what she did or what really tied you to it? Um, so we were very creative and I'm a very creative person just by nature. And we did a lot of artwork. We did a lot of ways that we could express ourselves as opposed to just the general worksheets all mm -hmm. of the time. Um, so she encouraged us to grow in whatever direction we kind of wanted to take it in. And I could just feel that she genuinely cared about us and genuinely wanted us to be successful. And that is truly what impacted me. I wanted to have that same impact on other people. That's awesome. That's amazing that, that, like you said, you can pull back on that and you remember it being first grade. A lot of people mm -hmm. fall into it more, you know, high school level or even college. They kind of explore that a little bit more. But, you know, that's inspirational that you held on to it that long. Yep. I think that really does say a lot about the connection that you guys had because when you look at high school students and when you get your top 25 and they're choosing their influential teachers, it's almost always high school teachers. Oh, yeah, yep. definitely. And just because of the recency and being around those those teachers during their high school years and even their middle school teachers, that they had some really good connections. They kind of lose sight of that. But first grade, going all the way back to the beginning, that like really really says a lot. <laughs> really, yeah, really. Right. Uh, yep. Yeah, it is a great connection. So uh, maybe tell us a little bit about um, – your current teaching assignment, some of the things you're teaching now, and, and um, where you're at with that. This is my eighth year at McKinley High School, and I am teaching English 2, English 3, and Advanced English 4 this year. Previously, I was at the downtown campus um, kind of focusing more as the career tech English teacher, but now I am at the main campus just doing the general population English classes. 
So what would you say is um, the main difference between teaching at the main campus versus a career tech setting? So being in a career tech setting, I put a lot of emphasis into making sure that the curriculum applied more to the students' interests. So for example, when I was teaching the culinary students with English 4, that's mainly British literature, when we did um, Beowulf Anglo-Saxon things, they would research the culture and then they would create meals according to that Anglo-Saxon culture. So we're still getting the English skills, plus we're getting the career tech kind of incorporated in there. So just you know, well, appealing awesome. to their interests. Connecting to their content area. Correct. And they mm -hmm. were typically grouped in a way that you would have all culinary yes. students together. Yep, for the most part. So for the planning aspect, that really helps to be able to specialize and personalize that to their program, as yep. opposed to if you had some of the building trades along with maybe auto tech, there's right. not as much overlap. Correct. Carryover. Yep. Which I know some teachers now, because of scheduling, have that, mm -hmm. um, but they differentiate within the class. But right. I could definitely see how that as a whole class, mm -hmm. if you're all doing one thing, I yep. mean, you could really expand on your projects. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you said eight years here at McKinley High School. Anywhere before then? Um, I worked at a charter school to start my career for four years in downtown Canton also. It was Life Skills High School, and essentially it is a dropout recovery charter school. I believe it goes by a different name now, but students for a variety of reasons, a traditional high school setting didn't work for them, so they would move to life skills, and I believe it was ages 16 to 22, so we work on getting those credits recovered and just getting them to walk across the stage, whatever they needed. That's awesome. So you, so you had a lot of experience working with a high-risk population, yes. um, obviously alternative ed type situations, mm -hmm. yep. so you bring a lot to the table. Uh, so, you know, as we start talking about your experience in coming into the classroom here at McKinley, although you teach uh, general English 2, 3, and advanced English 4, um, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of differences in the way that you structure your room or your approach. Correct. So uh, could you expand a little bit maybe on your classroom environment? Yeah, um, I take a lot of time at the beginning of the year and even each nine weeks throughout the year just establishing the feel and the environment that the students are safe in my room, that they are with someone who cares about them genuinely. So I have a pass system that I have set up. Um, and the first thing that I have as far as passes go, we do a big birthday board. So students create a tag, it's on the hanging birthday board, and on their birthday I write them a handwritten card telling them what's fantastic about them, what I appreciate about them, and then they get a yellow um, birthday pass, which essentially becomes a homework excuse pass or a minor assignment pass where they can turn that in if they've missed an assignment or if they just need a break for the day. They can turn that pass in. Um, and then the other pass that I give, they get one per nine weeks, and this is kind of the highlight of students' experience in my class from what they've said. Um, they get a leave me alone pass to start each nine weeks. And a leave me alone pass is exactly what it sounds like. It's a bright color. Um, and if there's a day given our population, really anyone's lives, we all have rough days. We have days when we're just right. not 100%. Um, this gives them the opportunity to just kind of take a breather for the day. And because it's brightly colored, they'll put it out in front of them. So everyone around them kind of knows maybe we shouldn't bother that person today. They've got something going on. Kind of so set they that can, norm in the room. Correct. Yep. To respect each other's boundaries, respect when we're having off days. So they'll use that pass and it excuses them from the work during that class period. Um, obviously, it doesn't excuse them from their behaviors. So if they choose to 
make the wrong choice, that we'll still have punishment for Act that. Act out, yeah. Correct, correct. Um, and it doesn't work for any major assignment. So if we have a major exam or if we have an essay or something due that day, they still have to do those large assignments. But if they don't use the passes, which is much more often than not, they are able to turn those in at the end of the nine weeks for extra credit. And throughout the nine weeks, when we have little competitions um, or we play Kahoot or things like that, they can earn more Leave Me Alone passes. I like to do escape rooms a lot in my room, and that is really the motivator. That is what you can win if you mm. escape the room faster than everybody else. And it motivates them greatly. Well, and it's a lot easier than having to go out the night before for candy Correct. and oh, other yeah. prizes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's it's a little better on your side. Yep. You know, as I'm hearing you discuss that and and makes me think back to my time in the classroom, how many issues I could have prevented with, you know, going, uh, you know, what I would say considered trying to motivate a kid, but actually, mm-hmm. you know, more or less starting an issue with them when they just needed people to leave them alone that yep. day. And so it's not something they can use once a week or right. it's not something they can use all the time, but right. once a quarter, mm-hmm. if you're just, if you're just having a day where you need some space, that really lets everybody know. And I, I like that. Yep. I like right. that. If they hit a point where they're just shutting down. And as you're talking about this, I, I think, man, that's a little unorthodox. You don't normally have teachers that tell students, you know what, okay, take a day for right. you. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of classrooms, and right, wrong, or indifferent, if a student puts their head down, I'm not fighting with them. Yeah. And to me, that's almost a structured way to allow that to happen. Yeah. Because you've incentivized now all the other days you can work. Mm-hmm. If, you, you know, or you can, if you work, you can take this one day for you. Yep. Well, because it's so rare, too, at once a quarter, it almost let, lets you know as a teacher, like, they're really struggling with right. something if they understand how it works. And then, and especially, I would think, as you're dealing with maybe juniors and seniors, yes. they're going to have a much better, uh, I shouldn't say, a little more mature way of looking at it. If I'm using that with a seventh grader, they might want to use, like, their leave me alone, like, every single day of the, of the quarter. But yep. Or they're jun- making their own. Or, or they're, or they're, <laughs> right. or they're adding to them yeah, and selling, yeah. them on the, selling them on the black market. But, you know, when you're dealing with a junior and senior, they kind of mm-hmm. understand, hey, this teacher isn't going to let me get away with this daily if I'm misusing it. But, look, I've got a, something big going on. I just need to be able to pull back and, as Alan mentioned, to set that where other students then kind of know, like, hey, let's, as a way of respecting each other, let's just, this person's having a day, let's just... Right. You know, and it's not it's not every day. It's not all the time. So that's definitely a way to look out for the kids on that on that socio emotional level, mm-hmm. and uh, and have a structured way uh, that you can kind of build that in. So let's move on to teaching strategies a little bit. And something that was was mentioned to me uh, when we were discussing the podcast that I thought was really fascinating is the idea of when you're when you're dealing with text in a language arts setting in an English setting. Um, how you integrate graphic novels with that. So let's talk a little bit about your project with Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Um, So I was given the opportunity to teach Long Way Down this year. And the reason why it was so enticing to me is because it is a book all about real life experiences that our kids unfortunately face pretty regularly. There is gang violence, there is gun violence, um, and just the codes of living on the street. So giving the kids an opportunity to read something that they would actually connect to and actually become invested in was very exciting for me. And to top it all off, there is, so the original is a, like a novel of poetry. And then I found a graphic novel version to teach kind of side by side. 
And so many of my students love graphic novels or they love comic books, they love manga. Mm -hmm. So the, having the opportunity to incorporate a book that they would be interested in and enjoy and that's something kind of breaking the norm, it's not your traditional chapter book where they all just want to shut down whenever you mention you're going to read it. Um, so being able to bring in the artwork and being able to approach a text from a different kind of avenue was very exciting. And when I handed the kids these graphic novels and we did a preview of the book, some of them said, wait, this book's about real stuff. Like there's real life issues going on in this book. And I said, yeah, there sure is. So I approached it by trying to kind of assess different um, learning styles. So we have the artistic style, we have the traditional just reading style, plus I have the audio playing in the background mm -hmm. in the hopes that it would reach all different kind of preferences for reading. Mm -hmm. So we knocked out all three pretty much at the same time and analyzed kind of how they work differently and how one works better than the other in different scenarios. That's really intriguing to me. I've, I've different times used a text in combination with listening to the audio version, but the idea of putting all three of those together at the same mm -hmm. time isn't something mm -hmm. I'd considered before, mm -hmm. but it's really, it's really like a fascinating concept to have them looking at the graphics while the text is available on the screen at the front, along yeah. with the audio, as you kind of combine all that together. And did you find any kids found that process of all three overwhelming or for the most part, were, were they all that they connected? mentioned. Um, in fact, I had quite a few students who got so into the book, they just kind of tuned me out and tuned the ebook out on. and the audio, and they just kept reading. And then I would say, okay, let's stop at floor. When you see the page that says floor six, we're going to stop there. And then they panicked and said, I'm on floor four, <laughs> which is way further. I'm like, you know what? You keep reading. That's fine. Just keep on going. Um, so they found, for the most part, whichever worked best for them, and they just ran with it, and it was wonderful. And that's really, as a teacher, what you're looking for Correct. is to get them to just pick up the ball and run Engagement, with it. Engagement, mm -hmm. to get them Engagement. going. You know, yep. when we first uh, talked about this in the graphic novel piece, you think high school, is it necessarily grade appropriate? Mm -hmm. But, you know, we did our community practice, our micro-teaching, yep. and when you presented this, the fact that you've got the text involved, you've got the read aloud, you know, incorporated, and, and the critical thinking piece is really yeah. where you hooked in that grade level standard. Correct. You know, it wasn't just, here's some pictures, go look at them. Mm -hmm. You know, can you dive in a little bit more of the activities that you incorporated with that for some of those that, that are listening? Yep. Um, so this was definitely an emphasis on critical thinking and interpreting text from many different viewpoints because all of us bring forth our own baggage and our own kind of life experiences on how we interpret a text. Um, so one way that we kind of dove into the critical thinking about midway through the book, we did hexagonal thinking. So I gave them an envelope of hexagons and on those hexagons, there are character names, like individually, um, just words in general, themes, concepts. And they took all of these hexagons and they kind of splayed them out on the table and connected them in any way that made sense to them and their table grouping. So every single table had a different hexagon map. They were different shapes. They were different sizes. They went off on tangents. So you're building different connections. Correct. Yep. <clears throat> connections on whatever makes sense in their mind and whatever is making sense with the text at the time. Um, and then later on, we used these same kind of themes and these same kind of concepts. And when we finished the novel, I gave them nine 
little like half sheets of paper and they had to create a theme diamond and each of these half sheets had a different potential theme that you could say covers a long way down so at the top of the diamond they put which theme they felt the book was most about and then at the bottom of the diamond they put what they felt the book was least about and again each group had completely different kind of priorities or philosophies of what the book is all about and what it's least about all of them applied but they kind of created their own hierarchy of what's most important and not um, and just their interpretation because the end of the book is open to interpretation we don't know what happens to the main character we watched a video of, of Jason Reynolds speaking about the ending, and he says that he'll never say what the ending is because it's open to your interpretation. So giving the kids that opportunity, uh, albeit they were pretty ticked off when they didn't have an answer at the end, um, but just knowing you can kind of decide where this goes and you can interpret this book however you want to interpret it. So giving them that experience with a text doesn't matter if it was a graphic novel version or the poem version or the audio version them being able to dive into a text is what was most impactful i think what? go ahead as a science teacher it's always about making connections in some way trying to provide a visual so that's mm -hmm. that was kind of my world in the middle mm -hmm. school science classroom but yeah. you know when you're looking at an english setting and reading from a text you're still trying to make connections mm -hmm. and i love this with the hexagonal thinking because you truly are having a kinesthetic way of making connections as you're adding it's all comprehension. these mm -hmm. and connecting them together. Yep. So, you, so you're adding the vi another visual way of thinking along with what they've gathered from the text, what they've learned from the reading that they've done. I think that's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank so um, one thing that, that we talked about earlier too, that um, as we were discussing your, your strategies here with the, um, with this particular uh, use of graphic novels and bringing those together, our district didn't actually provide those graphic novels for oh, you. Correct. So could you share a little bit of information maybe about how you went out and were able to gather those for students? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a resource or a website called First Book, uh, and they have a marketplace. And if you work in a low-income or Title I school, you can create an account and you have access to all kinds of opportunities to get free books, free resources, or heavily discounted resources. Um, so most of the English department, we're all a part of that first yep. book marketplace community. And when we get the word that there's a free book coupon out there somewhere, we all <laughs> share it. And whoever is looking for class sets of things, we kind of work together. So Mindy Angler, has our librarian here, has been incredible about, She's you mentioned it. to her, yep, what kind of thing you're looking for, and she will bend over backwards to make sure that you get what you need. She's a curator so, of resources. Yeah, yeah she no is. Kidding. She's fantastic. So between her and um, one of my other English teachers, Mandy Asbury here, we put together our free coupons until we had over a class set, and now that class set of graphic novels is migrating through the building. Started with me, and now one of the other English teachers has it and we're just going to kind of continue them and share the wealth. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Collaboration and gathering them, and then yep. multiple teachers get to use them, multiple students get to be part of it, so yep. free resources. Mm -hmm. There's a will, there's a way, and yep. teachers always find a way. I'll put it that way. Yes, yeah. indeed. So that's awesome. I do want to comment, though, about, about the reading, because um, other activities that I've seen with yours is you don't necessarily have a lot of closure in some of the things that Correct. you do. And, and from a math perspective, there's always an answer. <laughs> uh, and so it's always frustrating mm -hmm. in my mind because I really like things to be wrapped up. Yep. You know, and you said your, your students kind of get a little ticked off, but how do they, you know, with, with the activities I've seen, 
you do this often. Mm -hmm. How do they respond throughout the year? Like, does their mind continue to open up as far as, you know, the exploration to different answers or do they still really hold on to, I need something. (laughs) I need, I need an answer. Right. Um, For the most part, So the way that I kind of approach English and we as an English three team here are all about trying to get kids to harness their own voices and their own perspectives. Mm -hmm. So by not giving them the answer and by forcing them to kind of grapple with the different ideas and different theories they have in their minds, it allows them to kind of harness their voice a little bit more. So when I do take them off, and I enjoy every second of taking them off, we talk about it. Okay, well, what do you think is happening here? What leads you to believe that that is what's happening? We do a lot of textual evidence. Like, let's go back and talk about this. And then it encourages the kids to talk and say, you know what? No, I think it's this perspective. So then they're talking together and can kind of... About, Share the, their about own view. the novel, about Correct. the book. The short yeah. story, whatever the case yeah. may be. Yep. Just to get them talking. Their... Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, really, to, to think through that you've got kids coming in, which probably struggle with reading the comprehension. Mm-hmm. You're giving them now a multifaceted way of, you know, engaging with the text, starting to think, like Chad brought up the, the hexagonal graphic organizer, the, the visual connections. Um, I mean, from start to finish, this is phenomenal. Thank you. I would say in my perspective as a teacher, not that science is necessarily as close-ended as math, but that was just my own personal, uh, I guess, outlook. And if I planned it for the day and I had this structure, I wanted to be able to check off each of the steps along the way and have a nice, neat finishing and ending (laughs) as I got to the period (laughs) and, uh, you know, be ready for the next day. But there are cases for students you do encourage some creativity and maybe a little more depth of thought when mm-hmm. you're not always closing everything up for them with something as simple as a black and white answer or A or B. So yep. Right, it's structured but not rigid. Rigid. Mm-hmm. Rigid. Not, not rigid. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, you know, we talk about the reading piece, but the other part of your course that you really focus on is um, writing. You mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your strategy and approach with writing in your class. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's experienced this, but as a result of COVID and all of its lovely repercussions, writing has become a major issue. Not that it wasn't before, but it's mm-hmm. even worse now. Than I was going to say, I was a little taken <laughs> aback by that because I was thinking about my time teaching language arts, which has almost been 20 years ago, and it was a struggle back then. Right. So if it's really, <laughs> it's way worse. really dropped off, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're struggling. Yep. Um, and it just feels like a lot of the students are a couple grade levels behind where they really used to be pre-COVID. So we have noticed it requires a whole lot more um, conscious effort to help the kids with writing. Because just as I mentioned with giving them a novel, they shut down. When you say, we're going to be writing an essay, they're like, "Mm, no, we're not. So you got to walk them (laughs) through the process. Um, So we, again, as an English three team last year, worked very hard and diligently to create graphic organizers that kind of gradually ease the students through the process in a way that they don't really realize they realize that they are writing an essay in the moment. But then when they get to the end, they have kind of that aha moment of, oh, well, I just wrote the whole thing. I just have to put it all together now. Um, So we take kind of a gradual approach with scaffolding and everything, but we chunk it. So we go step by step. 
most kids benefit from a graphic organizer, if not all of them. And we tell them from the beginning, if you are a strong writer and you are comfortable writing essays, you just, you write your essay. Go right ahead. Yes. Keep, you keep it moving. So they can kind of move forward when they want. They can stop when they want. They can go back when they want. So it gives a lot of flexibility. Um, but our rubrics are set up in such a way that we don't start from the beginning either, because I hear so often from kids when it comes to an essay, how do I start this? I don't know how to start this because it's been ingrained in their mind that we write five paragraph essays and we start with an attention getter in the introduction. And then we have a body. Yes. And it is crippling to the students. It's oh, crippling to me. Setting as them up for writer. writer's block. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, so we completely skip that whole introductory part and we go to the end of it. Um, so we look at their main points, their thesis statements and what they want to talk about in each paragraph and just build up their confidence so that they know what they want to talk about and then we go back to those struggling points later on of the introduction and the conclusion. So just giving them step by step in chunks has been very beneficial and each as we do another essay, the students become more and more independent and they don't need you as much and they just kind of go off on their own, which, which is, is nice. Your goal. Correct. Mm -hmm. Do you yep. ever find with the students Students who consider themselves to be stronger writers at the beginning, they don't want the graphic organizer. And then when they see how others are using it, they kind of give it a try and realize, hey, maybe I have a chance to improve, even though I already have some skills. Yes. And I can improve my organization and then maybe yep. focus a little bit more on style and flair. Yeah, I had a couple students last year when we first tried this out that I didn't think would really go the graphic organizer route and they weren't going to. And then they were like, um, can I try maybe that graphic try. organizer, actually? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about how writing has changed with technology, just mm -hmm. the way that students write now in terms of whether they're using word processing or whatever the medium is that they're writing in, mm -hmm. if it's yeah. a program, compared to when we did you know, the pencil and paper and the notebook and collecting everything together. And it really is interesting with your format of using this graphic organizer because you're putting together the planning process first and then when they actually get to really it's not actually the writing that's occurring when they're putting it down and putting it together it's really just building it from the writing that they've already done right and so they're able to kind of use the graphic organizer for planning and then they've got a lot of support built in with the technology because the spell check the grammar check and the yeah. other things that come in there the which, copy and paste from the organizer straight onto and, your essay and that's the other mm -hmm. thing with yep. so so the organizers in a digital format where yes. they can use it mm -hmm. yep um, we have paper options for kids that prefer paper but I encourage them, you should really use it on your iPad because then you can quite literally copy and paste the sentences or and the phrases that you're creating. It. Yeah, and move it over. And you can, yeah, as you said, restructure, reorganize however you want. But if you write it on paper, then you're going to have to type it out again mm -hmm. anyways, which depends on the kid, whatever they prefer. And that's the differentiation of yep. it. You know, from the technology side of it, to hear you say that you're encouraging them to use the iPad in an English mm -hmm. setting, I love to hear that too. <laughs> I'm even thinking back to writing in school, you know, you just have to draw arrows. Right. I'm going to move this here yep. and move that there. And I'm re-handwriting something for multiple drafts. Yep. And now kids can copy, paste, and, and adjust if you're showing them how to use those tools, which, yep. you know, we've talked about a lot, Chad. Yeah. You know, if, if kids know how to do that, I mean, heck, your, your revision process is much quicker and mm -hmm. cleaner. For and fact. they don't realize that they're going through the drafting process. Yeah. The kids don't like to write more than one draft, but really we're putting them through more than one draft, and they don't really realize they think that I'm only it's compiling happening. Correct. It once, but the, Correct. the whole process goes, you yep. know. And to speak to your point about you know, really kind of uh, taking away that creativity because we've over formalized it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in math, I would incorporate story building with some of our different projects. We did a life skill project. We did a geometry project where they had to be an architect, and they had to create 
create backstories of different things. Mm-hmm. Our students, I mean, they all have creativity. They can yep. all kind of make something up yep. and, and kind of run with it. But when they would come to format it, I'd say, just write the story. Yeah. I'm, I'm a math teacher. Like, yeah. I don't need... <laughs> I'm not grading spelling. First right. off, you've seen me right on the board. But with that... One of those guys with some capitals, some lowercase, and all the words look like a ransom note by the time you get I'd look back there. at my IS, and he'd shake his head no, and I'm okay. You know, you, you make sure you know which, what, what you're spelling's the right way. But getting them, just, just put it down. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't get out of their own way because Correct. they were used to the, you know, yep. the formalities of I have to have five paragraphs, I have to have this. I, go, yep. I don't care the length. Just mm-hmm. make the story. And that's what they always say. How many paragraphs does it mm-hmm. have to be? So that's three to five sentences or five to eight sentences. And, and they have a real hard time when I say I, however many paragraphs it needs to be, however many sentences it Fully needs to be. Your Wait, idea. what do you mean? Answer <laughs> right. the questions and pull it together. Correct. That's all I need to know. Yep. And well, even when they go take the test at the end of the year, the air test, they don't necessarily have time to write five to plus paragraphs, it. right? Better you need to get to your in- correct, each. yes, specifically all of these parameters. But you have to write and fulfill the prompt. That's yeah. what's important. The amount of paragraphs, the amount of sentences, that's not necessarily what you need to focus on. You need to focus on what you are writing. The conventions aren't as important correct. but the content. Correct. That, mm-hmm. That's what's really being graded. Yep. I was just thinking about the idea when I was a freshman at Malone College, I took a class called Process of Research. And so that's really what this whole writing thing is. It's a process. Yeah. And so then I go back and think about some of my early experiences teaching kids to write essays. And you mentioned it as well when they're asking about the paragraph limit. Mm-hmm. The student looks at it as they're very task-oriented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they look at it as, here's a task, I get it done, I check it off the list. Yeah. And that can be really problematic with writing mm-hmm. if they're looking at, okay, step one, I checked it off the list. I wrote this quote-unquote first draft. Now yeah. I really don't want it. Why do I want to do another task that's very similar if my second draft has very few changes and mm-hmm. I'm just right. rewriting it with a couple of tweaks in there? Yeah. So as we're kind of shifting and fast-forward into more of a technology-based environment and then the way that you're actually as you said you, you're really kind of fooling them in a way mm-hmm. that they're writing their first draft without them knowing that they're writing it right so you've kind of cut out that barrier of them being more task oriented where their task is it looks a little bit different yeah but it's a they're better still fulfilling task but it's right. each box is but it's a better text. way of planning mm-hmm. and it it's a better way of, each time right yep. of focusing them yep. so that's really a key to getting students to do what you want them to do is kind of packaging things in a way yep. that they'll do it versus correct i already did that or I'm not doing that the first time or the second time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, maybe one last thing as we finish up talking a little bit about writing. How do you integrate, with all, any writing assignment, you're going to have a scoring rubric or some type of criteria. How do you integrate your scoring rubric with that graphic organizer so that they can kind of get an idea of how they're going to be evaluated as they're planning and not when they get all the way to end to, to making a final draft? So they receive their rubrics the same time they receive their graphic organizers. So it's not like they have to wait until the end to get the rubric and then go back and revise and read over their essays. They know from the very beginning, this is what we're focusing on within each essay. Um, And we've been doing a lot with argumentative essay in preparation for the 
tests that are coming up here at the end of the year. Um, so within argumentative essays, you need to make sure that you have a thesis. You need to make sure that you have a strong claim, like a stance, and you need to include counterclaims. So that's all part of the rubric, which is also part of the graphic organizer. So there's a specific spot on the graphic organizer where they ensure that they have a strong stance. There's a spot where they ensure that they have a counterclaim, and all of that ties to different aspects of the rubric where they're being graded. So it's kind of all separated, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, mm -hmm. but they have it from the get-go, so they know exactly what is expected of them even before they get anywhere near the end. And it's visually organized Correct. so that it corresponds with the with the graphic organizer yep. that's fantastic mm -hmm. all right so let's go ahead then to finish up one of the things we like to do at the end here is if you could give a piece of advice to a new t a new teacher in the classroom or maybe a veteran teacher who's looking to kind of refine uh, their passion or kind of revamp what they're doing in the classroom what kind of advice would you give them um, so my advice is keep in mind that you're here for the kids that, that is the whole reason why you're doing what you're doing. And they should know from the very beginning that you are here for them and that you care for them. That, I feel, has been one of my biggest successes is that the students know that I will help them when they need it, that I am here if they need anything. They can email me at any time. So just knowing, having them know that you care about them really eases a whole lot of classroom management problems. So if you can build that relationship and instill that in them from the beginning, it makes your life a whole lot easier. Eases a lot of, eases a lot of tension, really. Sure does. It makes the classroom mm -hmm. less of a tense environment. And the other thing about that, too, there has to be an ele element of being genuine because it's yes. really hard to fool kids on Correct. that. Correct. You can tell them that, mm -hmm. but the way that you conduct yourself and the way, that, yep. the way that you interact with each other, yeah, that mm -hmm. really goes a long it. way in that. Yep. Yeah. Um, and... Other advice that I would say from an English perspective, especially, and really given what I was saying with Long Way Down, um, know your students, know your population. Um, a lot of our curriculum is so archaic and it doesn't really, it doesn't have a lot of interest to kids now. So we try very hard, my colleagues, um, to diversify the texts and the curriculum that we give to kids. We want to, as I said before, we're all about showing the kids or kind of instilling them to have the power of their own voice and their own culture and their own diversity and embracing that. So diversifying the text that you give them, diversifying the curriculum, um, representation is something we talk a whole lot about. And when I gave the kids the book The Long Way Down and they recognized that this is a book about young men of color and their experiences that you don't typically read in an English class, but just allowing them to see their lives and things that they experience um, and just people from their same culture is very powerful. And that has gotten a lot of buy-in for me with my students, just having diverse texts available. What well, allows for that, not only creativity, but being able to see yourself in what you're reading Correct. or doing. Mm -hmm. And, and it, you know, improves the uh, opportunity for investment yep. from the student. Making you feel them. like you matter and that your voice is being heard. Yeah. Because if you never see yourself in the text, then why would you feel like you are heard no or seen? Well, Correct. it's almost impossible mm -hmm. to make a real authentic connection if you can't picture right. yourself Correct. in that. Mm -hmm. yep. One of the things you mentioned about knowing your students and how mm -hmm. important that is makes me think a little bit about something that's been discussed a lot by teachers and educators lately, and that's the influence and the role that AI is going to play as all these tools are becoming available. 
and you hear a lot of panic and you hear a lot of people being concerned that this is just going to give students so many opportunities to turn in inconsistent work or things that uh, are going to get them to be able to go around and circumvent what we're trying to get them to do. But when you bring up knowing your students, mm -hmm. I would have to think that in your class, when you start looking through those essays, if yep. somebody turns something in written by uh, a chat bot, yep. you're going to know that right away because <laughs> you know what their style is. <laughs> right. You can hear their voice in their writing. Yep. And the chat bots are so polished and they're, you know, grammatically very good and the mm -hmm. organization is fine, yep. but it's not going to sound like a student that you've gotten to know over the course of three quarters who sits right. in your room every other day. Yep, absolutely. Well, this has been a lot of fun. We really enjoyed yeah, getting to, in. to yeah, find out a little bit more about how you use graphic novels, uh, what you do with the hexagonal um, diagramming, and, and even in the graphic organizers and writing. So uh, thank you mu very much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. So this brings us to the end of the episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation with Jessica Woods and Moss today. Make sure you check out the description uh, of the podcast for links to some of the resources that we've discussed. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and write us a review. You can find previous episodes of Teaching in Tech with Alan and Chad on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.